0: Hello and welcome to the Lorefield Podcast, a Starfield lore and news podcast. This is episode 12 and the colloquial kickoff of season 2. It's our first episode since the Xbox Bethesda Showcase. We have a lot of discussion and analysis to come on that. Isra unfortunately is ill and was unable to be with us for this episode. Best wishes to you, Isra. We hope to have you back shortly. In their stead, I'm joined by BGS YouTuber and streamer Eldon the Noble. Hey, hey, hey. Glad to be here. It's a very special episode for you to be here. It's the first one since the showcase, like I said. We got 15 minutes of Starfield stuff, a little bit of lore info, which we'll get to, some pretty good info on mechanics like settlements and shipbuilding. What was your kind of general, you know, 10 minutes after the showcase ended, how were you feeling about it?
1: Very, very hyped. A little concerned about a couple things, but there was much more overwhelmingly positive and things to be excited about and overall i and since then since stopping and kind of watching it frame by frame i have gotten insanely excited and if i wasn't on the hype train before i am definitely on there now what about you
0: yeah todd always has this sequence he does where you know starts the game at the beginning you might even be like okay i'm you know not sure how to feel about this yet and then it just ramps up and by the end he just blows your mind Like, uh, he did that with Fallout Shelter in 2015 and eventually talking about, like, all sorts of stuff with the game. And and then in this one, when he said, like, we're going to show you how big this game is, he ends it with that 1,000 planets for us to explore. Like, okay, like, Todd, you win. You win already. There's going to be more games being shown all summer long. You already win. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I, I was... I shared some of the minor concerns that people have, but overall extremely optimistic. And, oh man, I just can't wait. I wish we had a date though.
1: I I know, I know. And yeah, Todd has just that gravitas to be able to pull something like exactly what you described off. And it always comes across so satisfying. I wish we did have a date, but honestly, I'm glad that we don't, as in they've not committed themselves and they can spend as much time as they need to getting it right and my best guess i don't know i think we might see a if we don't see it at a random time i think we might see it at a release date at the game awards that's kind of where i'm expecting to kind of see something
0: okay yeah that'd be cool i'm hearing a lot of talk about uh gamescom and quakecon too mm-hmm. and those i think oh yeah quake quakecon's coming up pretty soon i think i think that's in august yeah. usually
1: Yep, in about a month. I just looked it up in a little over a month, and yeah, I think we'll definitely see some things there for sure. Now, uh, Gamescom, I'm not sure, but QuakeCon, uh, that would just, it wouldn't make any sense for them not to show off anything or talk about it at all. So yeah, we can expect to see something there for sure.
0: Very cool. So last episode we made a bunch of predictions, and Elden, I know you were one of the people that submitted like your own predictions um, according to the prompts that we've talked about on the show. Uh, what was one that you had like right on the money and then another one that you were just absolutely wrong about?
1: Uh, So the biggest thing I was on the uh, money about was the section that was just a wild card where you got to fill in a prediction. Can't believe I was right about that. And I think I was the uh, only wild card that was right. I'm not sure. But my wild card prediction was that we would have recruitable crew that you would be able to go out, find crew for your ship, and that it would be you know, based on you know their skills and what they can add to your ship, things like that, which we don't know for sure exactly about like individual skill levels, but given that there's a crew and different purposes of a crew, it kind of is, is safe to assume. But yeah, being able to have a crew for your ship, which was something I was hoping, but uh, knowing that they don't, they've never really done anything like that. And when you look at, they've only ever had like one recruitable companion, and it, there was actually not much to do outside of recruiting one person at a time. It's not like there was a lead up into, well, this would just make sense. This would obvious. Plus with, at the time we only knew of the one ship and it didn't seem that big to be able to have a crew. I was just thinking more like the size of, um, guardians of the galaxy where you had just a few people in the ship that did a few things, or like the Millennium Falcon, just a few people. I didn't realize it was going to be on the scale that it was. That's not even what I had in mind. But this is, that is pretty big for Bethesda. That might not be, we saw in the video that your ship can have at least 10 crew members, I believe. At a minimum, that was the most amount we saw. Uh, And that may not seem like much for a spaceship, but that to me is pretty big for a Bethesda game. And so that was I was very excited to be uh, right on the money with Uh, one of the biggest things that uh, I was wrong about that. I I don't know if it was one of the biggest things, but it was uh, something that keeps sticking in in my head is that for whatever reason, I thought that the your starter ship uh, that you would be that you've seen in the trailer, you've seen in everything. Would be your only ship that you had now i knew you you, there'd be some ship customization but i just thought you would be kind of customizing that ship to your you know even when i watched it i didn't see the different names at the bottom corner of the screen so i just thought all of this customization was on the one ship i didn't realize that it was going to be you could have different ships now if we can have multiple ships at the same time doing you know fleets and things like that not sure but I, I just thought you would have your hero ship like the Millennium Falcon that you would be able to infinitely customize, but that that was just your, your hero ship, if you will. Like we saw in uh, that last Star Wars game, the uh, Fallen Order, or Fallen Jedi, I mean, uh, where you just had your one ship and that was your like, hero ship. What about you? What was uh, the thing you were on the money about and what'd you miss?
0: I know the biggest thing I missed was when I said that we would get Planet to Space uh, Flight, and then two days after the showcase, Todd is like, "Yeah, that's not gonna be in the game." So I was, that's one that I was I was totally off about. Um, as far as the one that I was right about, um, oh gosh, I can't think of one. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that that's not necessarily good. No, no, about, right?
0: No, yeah, that's bad news. Um, I I might have to look.
1: Now I think I think they. Uh... You not being able to go seamless from planet to uh, space, space to planet side like you can, say, in a game like No Man's Sky, I don't think that's that big of a deal. And we've seen that they made that design choice pretty early on, which is good because it allows it to focus on other things. I feel like some people, even when playing it, will be upset by that because there's been games that have done this with no problems. But uh, to me, that doesn't affect my experience at all, really, and why I love a BGS game. And like I said, it allows them to focus on more important things and just leave that technology to just being like a brief, like kind of loading screen that doesn't seem like a loading screen in which you transition from planet to space and vice versa. So I I, I, I think I predicted that wrong as well, but that's not one that I'm necessarily disappointed with like a lot of people. are.
0: Sure. I will say I think the the one that I was right about was uh, the modular ship customization. I I did yeah. I did predict that, and it wasn't. It was kind of low hanging fruit. Like we kind of saw it coming. <laughs> um, but <Right>. I <laughs> I also said we'd be able to own a ship that's not the frontier, and we later learned that we can steal ships, which is really cool, by the way. And I can't wait to do that. Um,
1: Yeah, I did remember that you had said that uh, in the last podcast. And I was like, "Eh." I think a lot of people said that. And I kind of disagreed with that. And I was the one that was wrong there. But yeah, being able to have different ships and be able to customize different ships for different purposes, like one for fighting, one for hauling, one for that. That's really awesome. And I'm excited to see.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I think we'll get now into um, some of the stuff that we saw in the showcase. And I think the first thing we'll talk about is, the UI element. It was obviously one of the first things we saw in the gameplay, and it was there pretty much the whole time during the gameplay. So I thought it'd be a good place to start. So in the in the bottom left corner of the compass, or well, getting ahead of myself, in the bottom left corner of the UI, we have a compass. Now typically Bethesda games, you'll know Eldon, they have like the centered like bar and you have locations and where enemies are on this on this compass and then you have the cardinal directions too. Um, now they've moved it to moved it to this like rotary thing where it's a circle so you have a 360 degree view of the enemies around you all the time but it's not in the center it's going to be in the the lower corner so an interesting change really changes something that they've been doing for the better part of 20 years
1: Mm -hmm. and I I think I think that's a a good change I mean I, I don't think that's going to add a ton but i I think it's a welcome change and i like when they focus on things like that without making things too obvious it increases the rpg mechanics of it because one of the things of like hardcore rpgs is having to figure things out it's not spelled out for you where you're given a clear path at best you're given a general direction to go and here we see that and i like that it's in a 360 ring it gives you a little bit better uh, be able to understand where exactly something is according to where you are. You know, it's the whole 12 o'clock, six o'clock, eight o'clock thing. Whereas before with just the the, the bar up top, you know, you had, well, it's somewhere behind me, somewhere outside of my field of vision, not sure where. So I, I do think this is a better fine tuned system.
0: Yeah, I think this is a good way to like keep people from having their eyes glued on that compass, especially while they're exploring. Because now, if, he's, if what you're looking for is off the compass, then you have a good idea of, like, like you say, where it is. It's a little more precise. So you aren't having to look up at your compass and turn until you see it leave like the edge of the compass, right? Like now you always know where it is, so you don't have to look there all the time.
1: Right, exactly. That's a good way to put it, so that you can turn, and like you said, you don't have to constantly be looking at it. You know, OK, well, that's in my 7 o'clock, so I know how much to turn. Yep, there he is, and I, I immediately you know, turn away from the compass, absolutely
0: in the center of that compass we see the planet we are on its name uh in the in the gameplay it was crete and we also see the time of day which i think is evidenced by like the image of the planet and the amount of light showing on it i'm pretty sure that's time of day it could be like moon cycles or something but i don't know what benefit that would have in the ui so it's probably time of day
1: right because that was another uh, question that was asked would have uh How is it? How is it put the uh, planets moving in a simulated manner? Um, Yeah, we don't really see any of that in the showcase. And I don't know if we're it doesn't seem like something based on everything we've seen that we'll see. That was something I got wrong, but it does make a lot more sense for it to be the time of day. And I think that's a very great, simple UI. So we could kind of see that. And what that also shows, though, that's interesting that if you really get down and think about it, That if that is the time of day then the time of day is different depending on what part of the planet you're on and you could fly around to the other side of the planet potentially theoretically and have a different time of the day if that is the time of the day absolutely
0: oh that's a very good point i was i was kind of wondering about the whole simulation thing considering like space and the planet are going to be different instances like how that's going to work and right yeah i don't know i i do wonder if there's in atmosphere flight because it would be really hard to like run across a planet and see any change from the regular day night cycle but if you can fly there then there can be like you know you can outpace like the sun the planet as it rotates and actually right. like t- switch into a different time zone or whatever so yeah i don't I don't know how that's gonna yeah. work i think there will
1: also be drivable vehicles and i think that's something uh, Todd Howard and BGS is uh, holding close to their vest. I don't think they're going to show us yet, but I think it would not make any sense. There's no way for them to explain in a lore way why there's no vehicles whatsoever you can drive. I mean, in, in Elder Scrolls and Skyrim, I mean the the only real vehicle you could, put for the average person to use is a horse, and there is that, but then there's nothing else. And then in Fallout, you know, they just kind of explain in lore that all of the the vehicles and stuff that you could potentially drive has been busted don't work anymore because of the fallout but with starfield (laughs) there wouldn't really be a reason so i think we will see at least uh some drivable vehicles like some rovers or something now again i don't think that would be fast enough but i am kind of curious to see if there will be some sort of flying within the atmosphere like you said
0: yeah that's a very good point on the kind of the lore excuse not to have them um also in this this compass section we have the O2 CO2 meter. This is something that we saw way back when we got those leaked screenshots. And oh, yeah. there was a lot of speculation on that about like, oh, maybe if you're on a certain planet, there's not going to be as much oxygen, so you can't be like out exposed on the surface as long, or something like that. I don't know how many people caught this. In the demo, when the player sprinted during the combat scene, that bar drained a little. So it's the stamina yep. bar. Yeah. So yeah, um, I was wondering, now we were talking about atmospheric makeup with like how much oxygen is in the atmosphere, could the planet you're on dictate how much stamina you have?
1: That could be really interesting, like overall I'm excited about this O2CO2 type of levels and how that's going to affect gameplay, like that's very exciting and I'm really looking forward to seeing what that is going to be like. Uh, but I, I, that's a good way to think about that. You know, the more oxygen, you know, that's in a planet and maybe you don't need to wear a, wear a suit that protects you, the more you're able to sprint or vice versa, you know, things like that. I think, yeah, that's a very good point.
0: Cool. Uh, Oh, and on the bottom, right. We also had like, um, kind of standard stuff, like your health bar, the weapon you're using, how much ammo you have. Um, right
1: and, I, and another thing right quick on that, that compass based UI I guess you could call it uh, that it also keeps the name of the planet down there for you because I'm a person that with you going to different planets and I, I don't have the best memory so if I'm booting it up and want to see ah, what planet am I on I don't need to go into any kind of menu system I have it right there on the main screen
0: that's a great point yeah and with a thousand of them that's going to come in handy exactly exactly So I see, go ahead. No,
1: another one, of when talking about the UI, the thing, the the biggest UI element that jumped out to me was the the weapons research screen. Now, at first, I thought that was the weapon modding screen, uh, and then somebody pointed it out that, you know, it actually says laboratory, a research laboratory, and it's uh, the uh, weapon uh, modding screen. Uh, but also the character creation screen, uh, screen UI and layout looks amazing to me. And I I really can't quite put my finger on why it's so good. Like to be able to express in, in intricate detail why it's a good UI. Uh, I just know that it, it looks amazing. It looks sleek, but it looks timeless. Like it looks like something that will look good for many, many, many years to come. I don't think it will age, you know, poorly or anything it's just it's got a very good sleek ui and i really wish i could explain why i just know it looks good but the the thing that worries me is on the opposite side of the thing side of things is that when you look at the outpost building ui and we'll get to that kind of stuff a little bit later uh that the ui for that to me looks a bit subpar maybe it's just the color scheme i'm not sure but it just it looks like it's in a very very early alpha state like a, uh, a technical demo more than a game. Now that's just my take. I don't. I didn't. I discussed it with some people. I didn't really see anybody else expressing those kind of things. But uh, yeah, the 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 weapon research screen, especially the UI, was just fantastic to me.
0: I totally agree, and it does look like it'll it'll look good for a very long time. Looking at you, Oblivion's menus and UI. <laughs> 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 I think one of my favorite parts about it is the font. Like it's there's this very consistent font that they're using in a lot of different Mm -hmm. menus and and like imagery and stuff. Um, So that's that's pretty cool.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's got it. Yeah, that that, yeah. Among all the menus, uh, the character creation screen looks a bit different than everything else. But you're right. There is a unified look where if you go into research or if you go into a different screen, they're all going to make sense and look cohesive together. Absolutely.
0: I like that you pointed out that the character creation looks different because there is like a, an in-universe exp- explanation for that, which is that it's the Argos extracted, Extractors like employee identification system. So I think what's happening there is that maybe we're getting hired with Argos Extractors, which is a mining company, and maybe they're having us fill out like like a, an identification form, and we're using one of their computers to do it. Or whatever but that's really cool i like that you said it looks different because like that makes perfect sense because that's that's their system
1: absolutely yep yes sir
0: so moving on um there was some stuff there are a lot of like short little gameplay clips and one of them showed like a rover in the earth and i think there was a huge hint there to like where that is what and what we were looking at so i think this was the mars spirit rover and i'll go into a little bit of the Spirit Rover's history, if you don't mind. absolutely, go ahead. The Mars Spirit Rover was launched on June 10th, 2003 from Cape Canaveral, Florida. It was launched and it landed within the Gusev Crater of Mars on January 4th, 2004. Gusev Crater was postulated to be an ancient lake bed, but Spirit's exploration pretty much disproved that by not finding any deposits in the soil that would indicate the past presence of water. It pretty much just found like volcanic rocks. It also looked into Martian geologic processes, and it assessed whether those environments were conducive to life. And for the most part, it found that they were not, which is going to be another important point when we talk about um, Cydonia in a couple of minutes. But on May 1st, May 1st, 2009, Spirit unfortunately became stuck in soft sand, and this is referred to by NASA as an embedding incident where a rover gets stuck in the soil and is unable to, to get itself unstuck and the angle at which it was stuck prevented it from recharging. So a few months later, almost a year actually, on March 22nd, 2010, uh, humanity lost contact with the Spirit rover. The mission lasted 21 times longer than it was planned. So it was a resounding success, right? But a lot of that longevity is believed to be due to dust devils in the Gusev crater that routinely cleaned Spirit's solar panels. So it's this cool like unintended consequence of like, the hostile environment actually helping the rover but um you
1: don't see that too often in space absolutely
0: (laughs) yeah exactly so um we see this rover that looks exactly like the spirit rover embedded in some soft soil in the gameplay demo and i'm pretty sure that is the spirit rover yeah
1: it's gonna be cool to see yeah things of like to be able to go and see that and maybe see other elements of the rover and other things on mars like that that'll that'll be really exciting
0: And there is the huge implication, of course, that like it has not been explicitly confirmed that we'll be able to visit Mars yet.
1: That's true. That is true.
0: We do know we'll visit Seoul, and right. It's kind of like assumed that of course we'll be visiting Mars then, but, um, it hasn't been outright said yet.
1: Right. Because we do know that, you know, to visit Seoul will also be our planet earth and obviously. You know, it wouldn't make sense to be able to visit it and explore it in its current state. Uh, You know, and a lot of people have speculated as to the lore reason why we won't be able to uh, land on the uh, planet Earth. And it seems like there's the the going kind of theory is that there's going to be so much built up debris around Earth that it makes it impossible to land.
0: Okay. do you think um, it could have gone kaboom from an asteroid
1: That is true, too, you know, that it could have had, like, one big... But then if it went kaboom, like, it would have to be completely destroyed or else even if it destroyed everything on Earth, but the Earth was still intact, you'd still be able to land, right? So I think that would have to kind of completely demolish Earth and leave it as just, like, some broken floating rocks in space, you know?
0: Mm. I wonder if we'll be able to visit, like, the Earth asteroid field.
1: Right right that's a good point or visit the moon are we going to be able to visit the moon
0: oh yeah i hope so because
1: yeah that would be awesome to be able to go and visit the uh you know the 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 flag that was on there and all the stuff of uh you know mankind's being on uh the moon it would be cool to be able to go and visit those sites like
0: presumably you can maybe do on mars right and it, it they are really leaning into like the history of space flight and like um like the old NASA stuff, because there's another shot that has the History of Space Flight Museum. And what's interesting about this is that Bethesda, based out of Rockville, Maryland, almost certainly had developers travel to the National Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian in Washington, DC. It's like a 20 or 30 minute drive from Bethesda's office. So that would have been super easy. They, maybe they even got some like special access for, to see like, to get more knowledge about the stuff or whatever. And then they're probably inspired and put this history space flight museum in the game.
1: So, yeah, I think it would make a lot of sense. The fact that they would visit the Smithsonian. I mean, they visited SpaceX. It's I'm pretty sure they uh, visited NASA. They spoke with a lot of different people. So with the Smithsonian being right there, I'm sure they got a special tour and saw everything um, for sure, especially with them showing so much detail on the history of space. They, they kind of would have to.
0: Yeah, and on uh, National Space Day, I think it was, they uploaded like um, a picture of Todd Howard visiting uh, the Kennedy Space Center in uh, Cape Canaveral, Florida.
1: Nice, yeah. Yeah, so they, they put a lot of research and love into their games. Like uh, when they were making Fallout 4, they spent a lot of time you know, in Boston and looking through everything you know, when they were making Fallout 3. It's funny to hear the interviews of them doing research at the Capitol and around D.C. surrounding that. So, uh, yeah, they put a lot of love and research in their games.
0: Yeah. And also for 76, I know they traveled throughout West Virginia.
1: Yeah. And that that really, you know, despite what people say about it, you could tell that there was a lot of research done on the lore and the, you know, the stories and the fables of the people of that area. And that was really cool to see. I'm not from that area but through you know looking about the different things that they talked about and researching it yeah they really they really spent a lot of time showing some love to that area like that
0: yeah i firmly believe that that game was bethesda's best like world like it had the six different regions that could have been like different games on their own they're so different from each other and um it's a really fun world to look at and provide some great views they're other aspects of the game where like other bethesda games (laughs) kind of rise above but as far as just the world itself fallout 76 is probably my favorite
1: right right now i'm just waiting for them to make a fallout set in louisiana
0: (laughs) oh nice Uh, yeah that'd be cool new orleans please
1: yep yep exactly exactly
0: so one other interesting thing is that there's this mystery city we we know about three new atlantis uh neon and and aquila and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about those in a bit. But people are curious about this fourth city, and as I understand, we differ on whether or not we saw it in the gameplay demo. Um, there were these two shots on uh, what looks like Mars. It's an or- orangish reddish planet, and it's this kind of industrial looking area. And on big letters are the word is the word Sidonia on one of the walls. Um, in real life, Sidonia is a region on Mars. And this looks like it could be on mars i think it probably is i think we'd agree on that right it's probably on mars
1: right 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 yeah i don't see yeah that's kind of a safe to assume especially with that name
0: yeah it in last year's trailer we saw that um cydonia had something called cydonia security um it was like scribbled on the on the mirror i think Mm -hmm. this is the fourth city i think it might be underground
1: Uh, that could be that's true if there is more underground than what we've seen in in the gameplay that could be the fourth city i'm still kind of hesitant on uh whether i I personally unless it opens out underground i don't necessarily think it will be the fourth city now if it does open up to be like a a a city-like thing underground then yes absolutely but the screenshots that we've seen almost seems like it's a mining operation and it's more of a, an industrial outpost uh, than necessarily a city. But like, like I could also see like what you just said. It does look like it goes underground some. We just don't know if that's a city or um, mining operations. I'm not sure, but I'm sure there will also be plenty of smaller towns. Let's say, let's hope that there will be more than just the four cities uh, besides of what you create with your outpost, but more towns and, and smaller cities.
0: That's one of the things that excites me most with the exploration is finding these, like, random, like, towns and villages scattered throughout some remote planet. And, like, the people are absolutely, like, living life, like, on the very edge of death, barely getting by with enough food or with the hostile creatures that live nearby, whatever. Like, I can't wait to come across those and, like, just talk to them and and learn about the planets and stuff.
1: Yeah, we'll see if we come across a moisture farm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: There could be one on Mars that kind of looks like Tatooine.
1: Yep, yep. But uh, yeah, I could. I don't know. the The more that I look at screenshots of uh, Cydonia, the more I'm flip. I flip a coin about whether I'm right or wrong. Like I kind of now. The, the more and more I look at it, the more it looks like there's an expanse to it, even above the ground. That's making me rethink my position but i I probably won't get past staying on the fence until i see more i'm kind of at best staying on the fence
0: sure yeah one one cool little like detail i noticed is that a lot of those pipes which are definitely evidence to support that this is a mining operation um a lot of those pipes have like corrosion or like rust like built up on them and so this is kind of an older settlement and that makes perfect sense because When humanity goes into space where's the first place we're gonna go it's gonna be mars of course so that's kind of a just you can tell they were thinking about it whereas new atlantis which is in a different solar system it's a lot you don't see like the the rusted down structures and stuff that we see here
1: you know and another good point to that another that you just mentioned that makes me think that if uh, if we look at some of those pipes some of them have that others not as much which will make me think that maybe it is a settlement And it, because, you know, it doesn't really rain on Mars, maybe it transport water. And through that, the exterior, you know, maybe tiny bit leaks here and there causes the exterior to rust some, whereas other pipes, we don't necessarily see the same kind of wear. maybe that does support the idea of it being an actual like city.
0: Oh, that's a really good thought. Yeah, it could be. There could be evaporators out there that we don't really see. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So speaking of cities, you know, of the known cities that we do know, uh, New Atlantis, you know, the capital, you know, Neon, and then Aquila. What uh, city are you most excited to visit?
0: For me, it is absolutely Aquila. I'm a huge, like, Freestar Collective dork already. (laughs) (laughs) So I just think the offshare are really cool. The the concept arts and stuff that we've seen in that city are really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, far and away, it's Aquila city. How
1: about you? I got you. Uh for me uh, it's kind of torn in two just for the sheer being able to see the most amount of NPCs and the scale of a city in a Bethesda game I'm looking forward to New Atlantis because somebody did I think a recent count and just in looking at New Atlantis of what we've seen we're like 140 NPCs at at, at once in the city that were you know walking around and such which is an absolute massive number to put that into scale diamond city and fallout 4 had like 50 so that is that is almost triple and to be able to see that in a bgs game would be absolutely incredible now that's that's really the only element i say in new atlantis i'm really looking forward to seeing neon and the kind of cyberpunk and the different neon lights and things like that uh of the aesthetic of it i'm looking forward to seeing that but in terms of mechanics uh new atlantis i mean i'm excited to see all of them but it would be it'd be nice to see um bgs's take on a cyberpunk style feel on a cyberpunk style city
0: Mm, yeah that's something they've never really done before right I wonder with the number of NPCs that there's going to be, how they're going to approach, like, the daily schedules and, like, the the permanence of the NPCs. Like, if I go on a killing spree in New Atlantis and I go on an adventure and I come back, will the population be reduced or will they, hmm. like, respawn?
1: That's, that's a good point. Uh, I hope that you're able to break the game like you have in previous
0: Bethesda games. <laughs> like, absolutely.
1: <laughs> yep, maybe... Uh maybe it would be kind of would be an interesting mechanic to see is that yes you can go on a killing spree and kill up everybody and over time maybe over not much time but over time it starts to repopulate with different people filling the same roles like it kind of goes into a npc generator randomizer that just kind of randomly generates an npc randomly generates a name and replaces the person you killed with this person and they kind of take up. So shops would kind of repopulate, things would repopulate, but it would be different people. I think that would be a really nifty mechanic to see that I don't think a lot of people would really notice, but that would be really just add a lot of love and thought to the game. I think that would be incredible.
0: That would be super cool. And they don't even really have to name them, right? Like it could just be citizen or settler. (laughs) like right that's less than ideal really but like uh, yeah that's what i was about to say (laughs) it would would work but
1: then 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 the only problem with that then is you've got again the voice line so they would almost have to whatever was say a generic male npc and if you shot and killed him he would almost have to be replaced with another generic male npc that would basically have the same voice because of you know lines of dialogue, things like that. They can't record <laughs> you know 20 oh, yeah. different ways, 20 different full dialogues of random NPCs just to mix and match different things. Yeah, but that could still be pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, it could. Speaking of mechanics, settlement building's back and it seems to be revamped. There might be more involved with it. There's this new vertical view. You get like a bird's eye view of your settlement as you can build it, and I love that. It was so necessary now you don't have to run around your settlement to build like a building
1: absolutely and i think they did that to focus on the point of your outpost will be to build for production and efficiency and that allows for better efficiency now i am a bit worried on being able to decorate as fine tune as you could with fallout 4 and with even mods having that you know, screen and not being able to see otherwise because it's looking at the different things we've seen. It seems like it's more of an overarching type of settlement or outpost building rather than showing any kind of fine tuning details. Now, I'm sure that's just to show off what's new and different. I'm sure there will be, but I am kind of waiting to see that to make sure.
0: Sure. We do have a quote from Todd Howard about these outposts. And I've I've been referring to them as settlements, but I think the proper term is outposts for this game. Uh, He says, you can build your own outposts. These act as a home away from home for survival and resource generation. You can choose where and how to build each one, and you can hire characters you meet to keep it up and running. Now, I hope, so in Fallout 4, remember, you could set up those recruitment beacons and then people would show up and you hovered over them and it was just settler. They had no like interactive dialogue. I'm hoping, like, the people that come to our outposts will have, like, backstories, like, how we met them. They'll be, like, involved in side quests. And then, like, they can come work for you or live with you. So, like, I was thinking, right. I was just trying to, like, brainstorm for an example of this. And, like, perhaps, just imagine, you save an explorer's life in a cave. They're, like, cornered by the Ashtah and they're, about, they're, like, facing death in the eyes. And we kill the Ashtah and save them. So now they're, like, all scared because they're about to die and they don't want to be an explorer anymore. And they, they, they're like, oh, I just want to settle down. So maybe you can say to them, hey, I'm setting up this outpost on Crete. You want to go, like, be a farmer? And they'll be like, sure. And then and now you've recruited a new settlement worker. So I was just right. thinking, like, maybe that's one way that could work.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we could see that. I think that would be, you know, a very exciting way to do. But I, you know howard todd howard when he said it i think he chose his words very clearly and differentiated it from a fallout 4 when he said you can hire characters right he didn't say you can recruit npcs he said you can hire characters so i feel like not only will those people be named but you can kind of choose who you want to hire for your um outpost now something that I'm kind of going out on a limb for, but I'm seeing all science pointing to this, and I think I heard somebody talking about this, and uh, in, in the things that I've looked up and read and watched and stuff like that, but I'm not sure, uh, but it had to do with the fact of, you know, possibly these NPCs that you recruit for your ship or your outpost, you can choose to take on with you as a companion. Now, I don't see, another thing that I was hoping for is the ability to have multiple companions as you adventure, so almost more of a small party than just a companion. I don't see any signs to that so far, but it does seem like things are kind of pointing to where you can take, say, somebody that you hired for your outpost and say, hey, come with me for a little bit, and then you go off. That's That, I think, would be really really nifty.
0: Yeah, it would be awesome because in Fallout 4, I've, I was always stuck with this dilemma of dog meat. Dogmeat is, in my opinion, the best follower because he can, like, take down enemies and, like, increase your percentage in vats. But there's no backstory to Dogmeat. Like, you can't talk to Dogmeat. He just barks at you. So,
1: <laughs> Well, I found that he had a bad habit of running up ahead and getting me in trouble because I liked doing a lot of stealth and he would just run on ahead. And I'd always be hollering at the game like, Dogmeat, get back here. Come here.
0: That's not true. That. He is not very friendly <laughs> to stealth gameplay. But I'm hoping—I no, I don't want to choose between Vasco and a human companion that actually has a backstory. Like, I want to—I want at least two, because I want to have Vasco with me. There seems to be a lot of utility there. And then I also want somebody who's, like, is interesting. I, I don't mean to put down Vasco, but Vasco probably won't have an exciting backstory.
1: No, I understand completely, and I agree with you. And it's honestly knowing how, uh, you know, Bethesda is in terms of they listen to their fan base. And knowing that they did a lot of new things with fallout 4 uh some of it stuck some of it didn't and a lot of people said hey yo i don't i don't like not being able to have another person besides dog meat uh as a companion that i have to either choose dog meat or another companion what we've seen that. You know, a lot of people complained about Fallout 4 having a voice protagonist, and so they got rid of a voice protagonist. I think it's a safe to assume that they really wanted to listen to their fans. They're going back to a lot of RPG mechanics. I think it's safe to assume that you'll be able to have Vasco and another, uh, you know, say, human uh, companion.
0: I hope so. On the topic of these these older mechanics that are coming back, this leveling system demands some discussion. So oh, yes. Oh, boy. Skills. Skills, first of all, they've divided into five categories, which are physical, social, combat, science, and tech. I'm really curious about the distinction between science and tech.
1: Yeah, I was curious about that, too. I noticed that.
0: Um, Each category is assigned a color, so it's kind of easy to see, like, in menus and stuff, what category a perk belongs to. Or skill, sorry, not perk. Um, And then you can also pick your background, and three starting skills are given to you according to the background you pick. So, for example, if you pick the chef background, you can cook specialty foods right off the bat, and uh, you get a melee damage bonus because chefs are good with knives, and you get a boost to uh, HP, which I guess is because chefs eat healthy or something? I don't know.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I guess, yeah, something like that. But yeah, the 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 different elements that we're talking about now, like the backgrounds, is just insane in terms of the depth and the ability to add infinite replayability uh as we continue going over things like the backgrounds the traits things like that i do think we will see that this this game will be the most replayable uh, bgs game that they've made yet
0: for sure yeah so far really is looking that way
1: yeah so outside of backgrounds, so like you said, the ones you mentioned, as well as you know, you can choose other backgrounds that have like pistol certification, so the pistols do more damage. You know, just stat increases like that. You also have you know traits, and you know different traits affect different you know elements of the game. So for instance, you can start with a starter home, and then but then owe uh, uh, a mortgage, owe owe the bank for it. You know, you can also go and visit your parents you know, and, but you have to send them money, but you have your parents, which is intriguing. I think we're about to get into, uh, but then you can also be introvert, you know, seeing things like that. But it is interesting. The fact that you can go and visit your parents, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I, there are a couple of questions I have about that. Like, first of all, do they give us a quest? <laughs> I hope there's some, some interactivity there where like, Oh, I, you know, your, your mom has you know she got her hip replaced can you go get us some food at the market or so, something as simple as that like that would be awesome
1: right yeah just something more than for 10% of my income you get to just replenish your health and you know ammo stuff like that that it's something more than that you're right just some kind of story element it doesn't have to be a crazy large uh, side quest series of side quests just something to give some kind of story. Absolutely.
0: I think there, there almost has to be because if you're a player and you know, if you so let's say like the game is a few years in and like the players know what the backgrounds come with, what player is going to sacrifice 10% of their income to visit two NPCs that don't do anything?
1: Well, right. I think they'll have to do mechanically. They will do something. Like I feel like you'll be able to probably heal for free um i would imagine that there would be other you would get some positive buffs like you know well rested some buffs like that uh and then maybe i don't know like a a refill on ammo or something so mechanically i think there'll be a reason unless they just go all in with story which i i don't know but uh yeah but i I, it's hard to call it already because we haven't seen all the traits but I, I really want my first playthrough, I really want to choose that to be able to go and explore and see what that is like.
0: The other curious thing with these, with the parents is that since the parents, parents are part of a trait, that means no matter what your background is, you can choose to be able to visit your parents. So will that change where your parents live? So like there's one background that is the neon street kid. So will your parents live in neon then? Because you're yeah. a neon street kid, you probably grew up there. You weren't yeah, an orphan because- you're... Right?
1: Right, I never thought of that, yeah.
0: So I, I'm, I'm not sure how that'll work. It would be weird if they were stuck into one fixed location. They could explain it away like maybe you talk to them and they say, oh, we've been so happy since we moved here. Like, okay, they've wiped their hands, it's all good now. But um, something to consider for sure.
1: Right, yeah, and then we have the uh, the um, activities, right? That activity system is just incredible, isn't it?
0: Yeah, like ranking up your perks.
1: Yeah, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And the reason that I'm excited about that, the reason I'm excited about this is this right here. So if you wanted to jump in the game and immediately focus on nothing but setting up outposts building up you know making a lot of money building up your armor your guns your ship and all of that and then you go out and start interacting with the world doing quests doing the main quest that it does not matter how good a gear you have you will still need to become proficient and better at your guns you still need experience right in in terms of real-world terminology, not just experience points, but you'll need experience so that you get better at guns in terms of shooting. And I think that's really, really amazing, because that allows you to progress in the game as you want.
0: It is really cool. It seems like they've, they've achieved this really nice blend between the best of Elder Scrolls leveling system and Fallout's leveling system, where you get the skill points and you invest them into the skills you want, but then in order to rank up the skill points, you use them. I think that's right. that's a really cool like balance that they've struck here. And I do have some minor concerns. Like one of the, the uh, challenges we solve was that you had to reload, I think 100 empty magazines and then your reload speed would increase. Um, couldn't you, if you have a ton of ammo, just unload empty magazines into the floor over and over again and kind of exploit that? A little concerned about that, but that's something you can choose not to do, so it's it's not a, a huge problem. Um, overall, I'm really, really pleased with that system.
1: Right, and you can kind of see the same thing in, like, Oblivion and, like, Acrobat. You could just sit there and jump off a rock for an hour doing that over and over again to increase your Acrobat, which, again, that is something you can kind of spam, but of all things to spam, I think activity based things like that is is a good thing you know i don't uh now yeah you don't want to do that necessarily with all of them but the occasional you know uh activity that you can kind of sit down and spam like reloading i i think that adds some kind of interesting charm to it not necessarily because it makes sense but because oh yes this is a video game
0: <laughs> yeah And another thing that's cool is that like if we expand this logic out to like, for example, the chef, uh, the chef's perk where you can uh, make special dishes, if we think about what those challenges could be, if you maybe make 50 like unique dishes or whatever, not unique, but like you you cook 50 different items, um, you rank it up and now you can make more because you've become a better chef. Like, I don't know, it's just, it's really cool and, and realistic and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun to level up.
1: Yeah, absolutely, you know, when looking at these activities, skills, backgrounds, traits, you know, like I, I said earlier, you know, this is going to have more replayability than, than Skyrim, than any other BGS game, because even just in tr- terms of choosing your background, like you said, a, uh, uh, the street kid on Neon, right? And what that does is it opens things to Neon, but closes things out in other elements. You know, same thing with religions. You can uh, be more uh, proficient and allow more elements in one religion, but shut out other religions. And what that's going to do is encourage you to go and replay to be able to see more of the game. And that is very exciting. Very, very exciting.
0: Yeah. Also, with this distinction of, like, the five different categories, I wonder if that's just, like, for organizational purposes to, like, help you find the perk you want easier, or if there's going to be, like, some actual i don't know if there's a way you can build like a more social based character that's not i guess you can just invest more skill points into social perks but um
1: right i think you're talking about more like a fallout building system with the special
0: system yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah and that that would be you know it is it will be interesting because now that you've mentioned that that is true you know so before you know, in, in Fallout 4, 3, New Vegas, well, really, any of them, from the very beginning, you build your character. You can build your character based on the kind of playthrough in terms of if you want to be more combat-focused, if you want to be more social-focused, if you want to be more luck-focused, if you will. You know, whereas this doesn't seem to be quite the same, you will have things that will affect, you know, like you said, you can choose Chef, you can choose a, a cyber-runner that will focus more on combat and other uh, backgrounds that focus less on combat more on social but you're right it isn't the same level as fallout is so yeah hopefully in this five system you will be able to kind of just invest in that maybe you'll have a few points to invest early on
0: and in thinking about these five different categories i now remember i can't remember which one it is but one of the backgrounds all three of the perks were combat perks so I think that might be a way that you can kind of start building your character towards like one or two categories that, that you really want to focus on by, by, right. by picking your background. So um, yeah. there's, there's that angle.
1: Absolutely. And you know what's funny that we're all talking about? We're talking about RPG mechanics, you know, backgrounds, starting skills, traits, activities, things like that. You know what game doesn't have those things that everybody is comparing this game to being? I have a guess. Yeah, go ahead and guess. No Man's Sky? No Man's Sky. Like, I, I understand some of the lines drawing of similarities. For instance, the manual mining, which that has me a little bit worried. I hope that's kind of a throwaway mechanic that just allows you to early on for free get a little bit of, you know, basic like iron, basic a little bit of ore to get started with. Or if you're in a pinch with money, you can kind of go out and get kind of what you need. But it's something that you could 110% ignore, but still fully do the outpost building and ship building, right? And I, I think we kind of both express similar concern with that mechanic, if I'm
0: correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so you see, you know, that's there is that similarities to No Man's Sky, but No Man's Sky is not a role playing game. In fact, The gameplay loop is mining, and then once you get the stuff, you can craft fuel for your ship so you can fly to another planet, so you can craft more to fly to another planet, and it's the gameplay loop of mining to fly, mining to fly, and that's, A, doesn't sound like a BGS game, like, at all, that's not their gameplay loop in the slightest, Uh, but B, that doesn't sound like an RPG, which it's not. Uh, No Man's Sky is not a role-playing game. It's like an action-adventure game, which is fine. But to compare the two, I don't, like I said, the lines to draw similarities between it, to say like No Man's Skyrim, right? That's saying, hey, it's like Skyrim, but No Man's Sky themed. Okay, you know, I still disagree with that, but I can understand that. But to say that it's just a No Man's Sky ripoff and that it's literally just the exact same game is absolutely insane to me because there are so many differentiating elements of these two games that it's just because they're both sci-fi like i like it's not quite like no man's sky is high fantasy and bright colors on top of the rpg mechanics starfield is more low fantasy more grounded in reality and is more of a realistic take on planets and colors if you will and i just i don't understand people when they when they say oh this is just a ripoff of no man's sky
0: no, I don't either. I mean, you can look as as deep as you want in No Man's Sky and you won't find these giant lists of perks that we we saw in in the Starfield gameplay demo.
1: Right. There's not there's not even character building because it's not a role-playing game. Yeah. And I'll be making I'll be making a video uh, at some point in the in the future breaking down the, you know, what are the elements of the core elements of No Man's Sky? What are the core elements of Starfield that we know of and show th- how much there is difference. Here. Now, another thing that is um, takes away from both games is that when you compare both of them, it takes away from what each game is doing. Like, it's not just a kind of uh, a negative thing to say towards Starfield to say that it's just like uh, No Man's Sky, but it's also kind of a a takeaway from No Man's Sky with what they accomplished, with the scale of their game, with the ability to do the random generation that they've done that's that's a feat in and of itself bethesda's not trying to do anything to that scale and so to so to try to dumb it down what they accomplished just takes away from their accomplishments but people just hear that that generation that random generation and oh it's random generation in space so that's no man's sky and people just don't understand how bethesda builds their game they've been building their games with this generation for years and years and years they just use it to set up the basics of nature and then they go in and and they layer their design choices on top of the generation
0: for sure yeah i remember in the oblivion documentary they talked kind of at length about how the world initially was procedurally generated and then over the entire the game's entire development cycle several years you had people going through and placing like rocks and houses and stuff at, as they saw fit but they started with this procedurally generated foundation and um yeah. nothing's really changed there
1: right yeah the Procedural procedure generation and what oblivion's almost 20 years old now coming up not too long
0: yeah wow that's yeah. crazy to say yeah it's 17 yeah it is 17 years old i think
1: yeah, seventy. Yeah, and so the fact that they've been using procedural generation for that long that people are now thinking that it's just going to be No Man's Sky and everything's just procedural generated is just is just crazy.
0: Yeah, and this is not to like bash on No Man's Sky. That's a game I have a lot of hours in, and have a, I love that game for what it is. But I I totally right. agree the comparisons with Starfield are not. Are I mean they're very surface level.
1: Exactly. That's a good way to put it. Very surface level. Okay, both are in space. Both have, at some point, some kind of manual mining. Both have a shooting mechanic. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, it's exactly surface level. And I agree. No Man's Sky is great in its own right. And to compare it to Starfield is to take away from what it did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well said.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, one of the things that we got to see after the presentation that i was excited and i'm glad to get notifications now when uh the starfield twitter goes and makes a new post because i instantly drop what i'm doing and go see what they're saying after they dropped on twitter they were they started dropping new information that we didn't get in the press conference uh press conference the fact that there's going to be a lack of voice protagonist what do you think about that
0: yeah uh i'm happy about it um And it seems like, and I'm curious if you're reading the same thing, the like core BGS fans are really happy about that. And then people who aren't so like hardcore BGS are more, I don't wanna say on the outside looking in, but people who who don't follow Bethesda as closely as us and pretty much everyone listening do, um, are less happy about it. And we're more in favor of the voice protagonist
1: right because they're more you could say casual bgs players or casual role-playing games so what they do is is they play a wide variety let's say of games well most games these days do have voice protagonists but as people like you said that we know people listening know you know hardcore role-playing games like a lack of voice protagonists for role-playing elements and uh it was wild to see i got to see all of those people that you just mentioned on twitter so when they dropped that tweet i was going through the comments and everybody was just so upset they were like man it's 2022 how are you not going to have a voice protagonist which was wild to me because i remember when fallout 4 came out that everybody complained that there was a voice protagonist so bgs was just like todd howard was like all right so we're not gonna do a voice protagonist again and then they got the amount of backlash that they did but like you said i think it's the it's the it's the loud people not the people that matter that is voicing that uh, opinion
0: the the game i think is going to benefit so much from them really i guess it's like a, a i guess a budget thing where like now you don't have to find protagonists who are going to spend 5 years voicing more protagonist lines than BGS has ever done like so we, I guess we were doing this comparison between like the voice lines in Starfield and other Bethesda games. Well, Skyrim had about 60,000, Starfield is over 200,000. Skyrim had a silent protagonist. So if it did have a voice protagonist, it would probably be 100, 110,000 lines. And that's actually what Fallout 4 had, 110,000. So we're even if we had a, or I'm sorry, if we had a, a voice protagonist, we'd be looking at 300,000 voice lines, which is just absurd. So, like, just to put into perspective the size that we're talking about, like, having a silent protagonist, I mean, it just kind of accentuates even more how big the game's going to be.
1: Right, and and I think, again, I feel like they made some trade-offs in this in a, in a good way. I mean, trade-offs in a good way. They realized things that don't really, really matter and things that do really matter and they put things into things that really matter like that like we talked about uh, earlier the ability to seamlessly go from space to planet side planet side to space in all actuality of a, a bgs rpg in the grand scale of things that doesn't really matter same thing with the voice protagonist it allows them to free up more time and energy to do more say npc voices to do more npcs things like that and i think that was a very very good choice
0: Definitely. I think we might be moving on to the end. We're kind of, I know there's so much more to talk about from that showcase, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, we, could
1: go, we could go on for hours and hours and hours for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, kind of the the basic idea that we're, what we're trying to do with the breakdown of the showcase is like do kind of bite-sized chunks, like all summer long. And, um, hopefully that'll, that'll tie us over well until the next info dump. But, um, unless you have any other thoughts about the systems or like anything really, is there anything Uh, you want to add?
1: I mean, I I don't think there is too much. I think we covered some of the biggest things that jumped out to me in a positive way. You know, the ship building, I think the um, level of customization and that, that, that screen that we saw and how you can piece together ships and the different companies there that built the different elements and how many different tabs were on the ship building as well as the um, outpost building was just pretty huge in scale. But, you know, we talked about the outpost building, the ship building, you know, the UI, I think, really jumped out. The um, the backgrounds, the starting skills, the, all of those elements, the activities were really jumped out. And then, you know, I expressed, you know, some of my worry with the manual mining. You know, the graphics... Uh, especially when you're in exterior views looks a little worrisome as in as in this you know graphics in a Bgs game doesn't really matter too much in my opinion that's not really why you play a Bgs game uh, so having said that i think a lot of people were disappointed with the graphics of starfield because they were expecting like 2022 cutting edge graphics and in some shots it didn't look too too much better than fallout 4. Uh, again, that doesn't really bother me because that's not why I play a BGS game. And I think, you know, hardcore RPG players and pe- like people us, you know, don't really play it for the graphics. I do think a lot of people were disappointed with that. And then, you know, the the gunplay I, that we saw was pretty interesting. I I don't play a lot of shooter games, but I kind of liked the feel of the gun in terms of. Uh, how it moved, how you aimed. It seemed pretty smooth and I liked the feel of it. Uh so that was kind of I thought the shotgun was kind of silly looking. It was kind of funny. Let me phrase that. Not silly looking, it was kind of funny. Uh and so yeah, I think those were some elements, you know, the 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 shooting elements. I'm kind of curious if they're going to go into any kind of like a vats system, any kind of uh, aim assist type of thing. Because, like I said, you know, when I play Fallout, I use a lot of Vats because I'm not, uh, I don't do very many shooter games. I'm not very good at skill-based game like gameplay like that. So it would be nice to have something like that. Maybe you control it on your watch or something. Maybe it just slows down speed or time. We don't know yet.
0: I wonder how the um, science and tech perks or skills. I keep saying perks. They're skills. Might tie into <laughs> that, like helping you with combat. Because we didn't see any of those. Like we have no idea what the science and tech skills are.
1: Right, right. I think there's a good possibility of, you know, there being some technology that you have that that does things like that as well. Yes, absolutely. I didn't think about that. That's a good point.
0: And Vasco, too, we do know has some combat capabilities.
1: Right. but And another thing about Vasco that we found out a while back is they described him as being able to carry much weight, which gives me the idea that some companions will have, truly different skills, and you can utilize them in different ways. Whereas before, you know, you could give any companion a gun, tell them to hold a bunch of stuff, and they're going to kind of act similarly. Some might be more wanting to get up in their face and do melee fighting, some might be wanting to be more of a sniper, but they still more or less acted similarly. What we might be seeing here is a difference of uh, companion AI. Like some may you know, be good at carrying stuff. But when you get in combat kind of retreat and don't get into it, whereas others might, you know, they're, they're like, hey, look, man, I'm not going to carry you stuff, and, but they're really good, you know, in fighting. You know, it might seem a, a variety of companions that you can have in terms of how they act and ways
0: you can interact. With them. One of my favorite part about parts about Bethesda games is that whenever they introduce new mechanics, you can always look back and see the little hints, the little breadcrumbs in their previous games that kind of like indicated what direction they were going. And I think that follower AI, you can kind of see it in Fallout 4, but the way Dog Meat behaves differently from any other companion, because he runs ahead of you, no one else does that. So they already have kind of incorporated that in almost like, a, like a, an infantile manner
1: absolutely that's a good point that's a good point completely because you're right a dog meets the only real companion that'll jump ahead like that so hopefully and you know another thing somebody pointed out you know we see vasco at the beginning of this gameplay demonstration in terms of on crete you don't see him anymore you don't see him in the rest of the mission so that's that's kind of curious as to what he's doing in that time maybe they just wanted to not show you his uh, you know combat capabilities or maybe he was doing one of his companion jobs that is maybe staying on ship and uh, playing defense and just kind of protecting the ship who knows i wonder maybe if he's recharging the ship I, don't know.
0: I wonder if we can like program him like maybe we want him to defend the ship if it's a particularly hostile planet or maybe we can tell him hey while i'm doing this mission go out and gather resources around the ship for me
1: That would be really, really awesome. I would love to see that. And again, in the same way that you mentioned before, I think we can see kind of little baby steps towards that direction. Again, like with Dogmeat, you can tell Dogmeat to go, hey, go boy, look for something for it. Oh yeah. Uh, And maybe So maybe you're right. Maybe we could see something like that. I think that could be really incredible.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very excited to learn more. Oh yeah. I think we'd like to learn a little bit, bit more about you, Aldon. Elden. I always say Eldon. I don't know why I do that.
1: <laughs> it's, it's fine. I'll, I have buddies. A lot of people do because when you think, of, when you separate the word, it is Eldon. Oh, like right? break it down eldon. into
0: syllables. Okay. Yeah. Right.
1: So I get that, but it is Eldon, but it is all good. I get that all the time.
0: Okay. Um, I'd like to learn more about your like your background with Bethesda Game Studios and how you got into content creation. Like, uh, so tell us tell us your story. Everyone always has their own BGS story.
1: Right. So I got started with uh, BGS back in the era of the PS3. So we had gotten uh, a PS3, my family, and it was one of those back in the days when PS3s were uh, um, backwards compatible with PS2 games. We got it because we uh, saw that they were going to be discontinuing that in future versions of the PS3. So we went ahead and got that. And so my dad, uh, you know, he plays video games as well. He's the reason he got me into video games at a very, very, very young age. Some of my earliest memories are playing uh, on the super Nintendo uh, games with him, like killer instincts and, and uh, games like donkey Kong country. And then the N64, a lot of games like that. Um, but uh You know, he wanted to find a game for the PS3 because this was a brand new system, really impressive hardware, wanted a big game to really sink his teeth into. And he was looking at um, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, uh, the game of the year edition. This is when the game of the year edition come out. And Assassin's Creed, the first Assassin's Creed. And I remember thinking in my head uh, at the time, Assassin's Creed looked cooler to me. So I was kind of hoping he was going to go with that. But I'm glad that he ended up with going with Oblivion. So he got Oblivion, and he got the big, thick guidebook. I remember the the exact thickness of that book, how it looked, everything to this day. He got a big, thick guidebook. And then, so we got it home, and over the course of, I don't know, a long time, we would spend evenings where he would play it. I would have the guidebook, and I would guide him through the whole game. I would be like his, uh, all right, up here, you know, is a trap. You want to make sure you, uh, you know, there's a button to the side. You want to make sure you sneak up there. You press it before you go forward, you know, things like that. And I had a blast. I had no idea I could have so much fun not playing a video game (laughs) right with video games. Like it was just it is one of those memories I will hold dear to my heart for my life because it was just an incredible experience. And I wanted to do the same thing with Skyrim because Skyrim, you know, at that point, uh, when we had gotten done with Oblivion by a little bit, you know, the, the Skyrim was coming 11, 11, 11. I, I'll never forget that date either. And unfortunately, it came out when I was a freshman in college. So I didn't have the ability to stay home with my dad and guide him through the game like that. So, uh, but my first game experiencing BGS was Oblivion and it was incredible. I remember that step-out moment they spent so much time in the dungeon i was kind of curious i was like is this the whole game i'd never (laughs) experienced a a grand open world game like they had built before so i really didn't know i mean i looked at the back of the case and i was like it looks like you can go outside but i was kind of a bit uh perplexed by that and then he opened up the um the door to go outside of the uh, like the the dungeon and it came out at night not only was this brand we also had a a very new TV and this was back when you know a 1080p television was kind of the cutting edge of technology and so he comes out and it's nighttime and he looks up and it's this bright starry sky and you can see across a large amount and my jaw dropped I was absolutely blown away because like I said I'd never really experienced an open world game up to that point uh so I was absolutely incredibly blown away and through the whole course of him playing it and me guiding it I was just insanely impressed at the scale and the scope of what they were doing and 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 their gameplay loops and how they built their game and so to me oblivion even though technically I've never really played much of it oblivion will always have a special place in my heart because even though I didn't play it I'm very you know I, I remember it I remember a lot of the elements I remember a lot of different things and then you know skyrim i never i never i think combined with the different versions of skyrim that i've bought like everyone has um <laughs> i uh have maybe around 50 hours into it i have never really been able to get in the skyrim because a lot of it to me is focused on dungeon crawling which is fine it's great but that's unfortunately a lot of the ways that i default to playing a game is through stealth and sneaking and constantly jumping in a do a dungeon to me kind of became a bit slow and tedious. Even if you did decide to tank and run through it, uh, I, I don't know. It just became kind of repetitive to me. I still loved, you know, Skyrim, how they built their game, everything they were doing. It just wasn't a game I could really get lost in myself. Right? Then uh, you know, we had Fallout 4 getting ready to come out. Now I had heard of Fallout, I'd kind of seen it around, but I'd never really gotten into it. And I had a buddy in college that really liked the Fallout games. And so he uh, he was excited about it. And uh, so I decided I was like, you know what? I'll go try Fallout three. I tried it. I have a hard time sometimes playing with games that have kind of become dated. And that was definitely the case there. And I just couldn't get into it. So I said, "Eh, I'll wait for Fallout four. So Fallout four came out and I instantly fell in love. I fell head over heels with fallout 4 i i have fallout 4 is the on steam the game i have the most amount of hours logged in and so it i what's funny though is back then i didn't actually own fallout 4. i had family share with my buddy in college and when he wasn't playing it i was playing it and because i'd I'd never played it before any of the fallout games so i I, what little bit i tried to Fallout three i didn't care for so i didn't know if i was gonna like it well it wasn't very long that i bought my own copy and the season pass to get the dlc and i think before all the dlc had come out i had like 200 hours logged into it (laughs) so i had uh very much fallen in love with that game then I decided, you know what? I tried going and playing Fallout 3 again. I'm like, I still just can't quite do it. So, I decided, well, let me try New Vegas. Even though that's kind of a spin-off game, a lot of people swear by this game. Let me try it, and just like Fallout 4, I instantly fell in love. In fact, I I, you know, New Vegas to me is just a a game that is I know that's not BGS per se, but that still is become a BGS uh, IP, and it just is in just incredible game, and has so much like rich um, lore and just interesting things that are going on. In fact, you know the the Kings that faction uh, is way to me more interesting than anything that's in Fallout 3. Now I know that's a controversial opinion. I have friends that say Fallout 3 is better than Fallout New Vegas. We've gotten into discussions and arguments about it. But uh, I just New Vegas, to me, is just incredible. And then I decided, well, I was like, okay, I've gotten more into this franchise. Let me go back and try 3 again. And I got a little bit further before I'm just like, I just can't do it. And so, you know, I had realized that I love the Fallout series and that I'm going to love, you know, games that they come out with going forward. But that was about the time that I thought about streaming because I am a very social person. I like to talk and interact with people, but I mostly play single player games, whether that's a city skylines type, whether it's a BGS game, whether it's a tycoon game. I like single player experiences for the most part as a general rule. And so. I found that through streaming, I could experience these single player games, these single player worlds in a social atmosphere. And I instantly just fell right into it. I instantly clicked with it and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So when I got started with, you know, streaming, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go through the whole fallout series i'm gonna start with fallout 1 2 play 3 make myself play 3 <laughs> <laughs> uh, play new vegas play 4 and then play some 76 uh which 76 i remember i had pre-ordered and i thought about getting the special the super special edition i don't quite remember what it was called but uh i had pre-ordered it from gamestop and i still have some of the little posters they gave out at midnight uh here but uh i remember when that game came out that was after i had played four and new vegas and so i was pretty excited about it uh but when i i decided to stream i started a little bit found that i was enjoying it found i had some people that was enjoying watching me and i said look i'm gonna stream through the whole uh fallout series and so i started with fallout one and uh, that was rough but we made it through luckily i you know i like to play these games whereas i like to encourage backseat uh backseat gaming where people say hey nope go this way they tell me better ways to do things and so i encourage that and so what that allowed uh for is people to come in and say hey no actually to progress to the next section of the game you need to go over here where they wouldn't ruin the first time experience with me for me but they would also help me move along with it and that's the only reason i was able to get through fallout 1 without having to look up a lot of stuff Now, unfortunately, we got to Fallout 2 and I played a decent amount, but I didn't really have anybody there that was um, very familiar with Fallout 2 and I was kind of just spinning my wheels and it was kind of frustrating because I wasn't enjoying it in terms of content creation streaming uh, because I didn't want to just look up before every stream exactly how to do what to do because that's not really fun anymore, experiencing something for a first time with my audience. Uh, so after a little bit of that, I just moved on from fallout 2 I'll, I'll see about visiting it again, but then we moved to fallout three and I, you know, through this, it made me, you know, it forced me to get into finally play through fallout three and I enjoyed it. I, um, I, I got some things out of it. There were some things I was disappointed in, but for what it was at the time, not to take anything away from it, it was a great game. Uh, I still do think New Vegas is light year better, light years better. And that's what we're on now. Uh, We're in New Vegas. And then once we get with New Vegas, uh, we'll move into a um, a heavily modded Fallout 4 game, you know, going through Fallout 4. And then we'll end up with some uh, Fallout 76 going through mostly story more than trying to progress as far as possible to get the story of it all. Because that's what we're also playing. So like for right now on my uh, Twitch channel... We have where people can use their channel points to vote on the kind of playthrough in Fallout 4 that we're going to go through, whether it's Brotherhood of Steel, the Institute, um, the, the the railroad, you know, things like that. Because I enjoy, like I said, playing things socially. So that kind of is is my story and what led into BGS. And I just again, whether I play a specific BGS game or not. I really like how they make their games. So like I said, I didn't do a ton much in Skyrim, but I really love it for what it is and how they made it. And then when I found out, you know, you hear in a little bit of rumblings about Starfield back when it was just a trademark, I was like, okay, back then, you know, I was familiar enough with to know that they had a trademark, multiple trademarks for a game cards called, called Starfield. So when they announced it uh, back in 2018 that we are working on a game called Starfield, I wasn't completely, you know, like, what? I had no idea. And I started really getting excited. Uh, You know, I mean, obviously, a BGS game in space sounds amazing. But what really got me excited about it was knowing that it was kind of going to be a grounded, low fantasy experience. As in, it wasn't necessarily going to be like Star Wars, Star Trek, with the tons of different races and you blasting off to uh you know all over the entire universe and experiencing wild crazy things it was a much more grounded experience in fact i'm not sure who said this but they said that starfield is going to be like what flight was in the 1940s where it was common but still dangerous and still something people were getting used to and i really like that kind of low fantasy take on sci-fi and that's when i just started getting really really excited about it where by the time we saw uh things in last year in 2021 i was just yep i was on the hype train by then but yep that's kind of my background in bgs mostly with fallout but still you know i'm looking forward to the next elder scrolls games and apparently fallout 5 after
0: that <laughs> yeah apparently i think they're still it's still just a a one-page google doc on on their on their server but um that is such a cool story all the way from the beginning like having such a cool shared experience with your dad like that just kind of shows like the power of video games like uh, that's that single player game has created such a cool social experience between you and your dad and then all the way through exploring all the fallout games on stream and then kind of diving deeper and deeper into the into the not only bethesda but also the classic fallout catalog um live on stream with your audience that's just That's so cool. So, um,
1: yeah, it has been a very amazing and rewarding experience. Now, one of the things that I've always wanted to get into is being able to make my own mods for Bethesda games. Uh, But that that does require a bit of learning. But I've had some crazy cool ideas for like Fallout 4 for like a a, a mod where you could um, a new building pops up in an area where you can build a settlement. That acts as your uh, build your own radio station where throughout the wasteland as you're exploring you find different songs and you can kind of upload when you go back to your little outpost of your radio station settlement where you can configure what the radio station plays so where if you want one song on repeat over and over you can or if you have the songs in the default game but then an expanded list of songs but if you have some songs you don't like and other songs you do like you can kind of customize your radio station whereas you can also build it out as a settlement you know mods like that and you know i might see about trying to learn a little bit for starfield but uh the modding capabilities of bgs games are incredible i have a hard time playing any bgs game without at least a mod or two
0: (laughs) that is awesome i love that mod idea because uh, johnny guitar i'm not a huge fan of but uh, starfield should be a great game to learn the creation kit on so that'll be cool oh my
1: word yes the modding capabilities or the modding potential of this i think is also unprecedented i think it's going to again dwarf skyrim in terms of the modding potential and everything you can do because now we have th- over a thousand planets of things you can do i mean i wouldn't be surprised to see you know people just modding in whole cities on these planets
0: exactly yeah there's so much real estate that they'll be able to do that absolutely absolutely yes 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 thank you very much eldon for taking the time to be with us on the show um please it's the least we can do please um plug where you stream where where we can find you where we can follow you
1: Oh, yes. I've already been talking to my community about it because I've been very excited to be here this uh, this uh, today to be here with y'all. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping to come back at some point because this has been incredibly exciting because what it does is it helps not only do we get a time to discuss it, but it also uh, excites us even more being able to discuss it. And the things that, you know, like we've been discussing, that's made us find things that we didn't think about before
0: yeah yeah absolutely so uh where can we find you on youtube twitch
1: youtube and twitch all uh you know i I am i do have a uh, twitter but i'm not really active too much on there because twitter is kind of weird but the the most (laughs) most of it's uh youtube and twitch uh you can search me up Elden the noble uh you know three separate words uh on on twitch i usually am live uh monday wednesday and friday Uh, from starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Now, that is uh, kind of changing here and there, you know, uh, about when I'm live, especially now that I have a a child on the way. (laughs) That will definitely...
0: Congratulations.
1: um, Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. Our first one, in fact, we'll be finding out uh, here soon over the next few days on whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. And so we're very excited about that. But with that comes, you know... (laughs) things that allow uh that make schedules change no matter what you're doing but right now it is monday wednesday friday uh from starting at 8 p.m est and we we like to do also a little bit of um, in fact i think we're fixing to get ready to start a uh, pokemon series where we go back and play pokemon fire red and play through it as a community and kind of like make decisions as a community like like vote for which starter to go with and things like that uh and so we're we're excited about that but yep Elden the noble twitch and youtube
0: awesome and awesome. i'm
1: working i'm trying to also work on my own series of youtube videos on starfield breaking things down things we're excited about just just different elements kind of covering the development up to starfield up until launch and then after launch
0: yeah, I'm excited for that, and I, I haven't caught all of your streams, but I have spent considerable time in them, and it's it's a ton of fun, just kind of chatting about about BGS or or figuring out um, how to how to progress if if you're having trouble, whatever. Not that you're like bad at the game, but you know, so, like you were saying, oh, no, having I, a <laughs> yeah.
1: having a guide absolutely it does help because there are sometimes where I'll miss something or I don't quite understand something because something will go over my head. And then it, all it does uh, sometimes is take a little bit of a helpful word from somebody to make it click and go, ah, that makes sense. Let me go that way. Because it is a big open world and you could get lost in it. And so uh, that is good. I'm glad that you enjoy it. And I try to make it as, uh, as fun and enjoyable as it can. be.
0: Cool. I think we're ready now to move on to our last segment of the show, which is the uh, starfield itch scratching sorry we didn't do that on the last episode but we ran so long i think we we were we told juice head we were hoping it would be two hours or less and i think we were at three hours and 20 minutes <laughs> by the time we got to this part of the show so we just skipped it last time but um
1: well, that was a great episode that 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 was really a lot of fun to listen
0: to oh thank you so much um but uh yeah so we'll each come up with any game, it can be like a book, music, movie, whatever, um, that will scratch the Starfield itch. Uh, this month I'm going to recommend, it's a weird one, again, last month I did, or two months ago I did Animal Crossing, uh, this month I'm going to do American Truck Simulator, and it's kind of a loose connection to Bethesda, but there is that element of exploration, and then you have some managing to do, uh, that could kind of tie into the, the outpost system, because you have to, like, manage your truck fleet and there's also euro truck simulator if you're not a fan of the states or you want to explore a different part of the world so i, I guess i'll recommend both american and, and euro truck simulator um just kind of a fun series very niche um it has a really cool like tight core community um the, the subreddit truck sim is pretty fun to browse even though i don't i don't have like a wheel i just use a controller but um it's it's a fun community to partake in and uh, fun games to try out even for just a few hours
1: Absolutely. Those are some fun games. I've played them myself. Now you said that could be like music or movies or something else besides video games as well. Yeah. Any medium. Okay. I got you. Well then I would have to say, uh, if I had to choose one, it would probably be the movie interstellar. That is such a fantastic movie. It's, it's a great low fantasy sci-fi epic that is very much does the same kind of question. What is out there? Who who are we? Where are we trying to progress? Uh, you know, it's got a fantastic score, great acting, but it's it's very much to, very much about space exploration. And I that would that would that is a that is a favorite movie of mine. Just a fantastic movie from beginning to
0: end. That is cool. Um, yeah, I, I actually I haven't seen it, but um, it is very high on the list because
1: oh yeah, you yeah I would have to say you got to put that at the top of your list, man. It's a great great movie like i and the music oh the music oh it is, is just incredible it really captures you into it now if i had to recommend say a game to scratch the itch of starfield until it came out i would maybe say satisfactory because that's about you know it's resource and production like you're building up production outposts in a sci-fi environment it is a bit more high fantasy and it is like factorio but more 3d uh, but I think that could also scratch a little bit of that itch as well.
0: Okay, I haven't played that one either, but I do know Satisfactory has a really another another game that has a really like active and and vibrant community that's always like sharing their creations and stuff.
1: Yep, and their their development team is very active in communicating with uh, active development of it. In fact, I think they just released an update recently, and they were very vocal leading up to it about. These uh, this update's going to be kind of different, things like that. And that's always great to see in a studio that's working on early access types of games is a lot of communication of both ways. But if you're itching for Starfield, I'd recommend playing Satisfactory while watching Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll have to put it on my list. That's a great recommendation. All right. Well, I think we're planning to do the next episode in two weeks. I know we promised to do that immediately after the showcase, but life gets busy. We had to, we had to uh, wait a little bit on that, but hopefully we'll be back in two weeks. This has been the Lorefield Podcast. You can find us on Reddit, Twitter, YouTube, and several other places. I can never remember them all, but thank you so much for listening. This is Mitch along with Elden the Noble, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.